Today on the We Invested podcast, we have Rick West, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Field Agent. Rick, how are you doing today? Wesley, man, I am doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for joining. And, you know, before we get started, would you mind letting the people know, uh, you know, where they can find your your company and, and how they can get in contact with you on the you internet? Know, Wesley, you, know, you know, I am a uh, LinkedIn guy, so it's yes, easy. Sir. LinkedIn, look for Field Agent Rick West. You can easily find me. Um, and Wesley, if they're a friend of yours or a friend of mine, I might actually DM them back, you know, so reach out that way. <laughs> uh, but if you want to get all the company, uh, we've got a great marketplace that has products for retail. Uh, and so if you deal with retail at all, whether you're a quick serve restaurant or a manufacturer or a brand, you can go to fieldagent.net. Uh, and that's where you can find, you know, our products. And then we have a larger marketplace that actually we're rebranding uh, and it'll be launching June 17th. So Based on when this podcast hits, it might be just before or just after, uh, and that'll be on Plum.Tech. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, let's just kind of start from the beginning and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where'd you grow up? You know, I grew up in Appalachia, so I'm not sure how often you get a kid from Appalachia on these talks, Wesley, but I'm I'm your guy, okay? <laughs> so I grew up in eastern Kentucky. Um Family was railroaders and coal miners. My brother's a coal miner right now, mile down in the mountain digging coal. Uh, so really proud of him and the work that he does. But um, but from Appalachia, I grew up in that area, went to school at the University of Kentucky. And uh, from there, got a job with Procter & Gamble, which just kind of changed, changed dramatically the trajectory of my life uh, as it relates to opportunities uh, what was going to be in front of me and had a great career there before I went down the entrepreneurial path. That's awesome. And so, you know, how would you say that growing up in Appalachia kind of, you know, shaped or impacted your outlook on life and success? Yeah, you know, uh, people listening to this, whether you buy this or not, um, culture matters, right? And so I, I took a lot of the, the culture from that, the good stuff and left some of the bad stuff behind. Uh, I often tell people, Wesley, I'm kind of a cross between Friday Night Lights and Hillbilly Elegy, okay? <laughs> There's some pieces in there. So the culture part is um, the, the work ethic, working hard, loyalty. I mean, uh, I'm 20 minutes, I grew up 20 minutes away from uh, Burnwell Beach, is, which is where the Hatfield-McCoy feud was. I mean, there, there is loyalty in the family. There's loyalty from the high school that I went to and the people that I'm involved in. So you take that with you. Uh, you take the dedication to things. And that's the part of culture uh, that kind of made me who I am today. Now, there's pieces of it that you and I could both, you know, kind of banter about that a bit that you're like, nah, that's that's not the approach I want to take on life because um, it it works out OK in Appalachia, Eastern Kentucky. But it's not something I'm going to take with me or kind of pass down to my kids. That's incredible. Yes, sir. I mean, in, I can kind of feel that energy you know, that that loyalty that you speak of and kind of that pride of where you come from when you mention your family, you know, your brothers and, mm -hmm. and you know, minors and, and things of that nature. So is that something, too, that you kind of is, is a Kentucky thing, like just having that pride for where you're from and that love of, of where you're from? Yeah, it, it really is. It, it's interesting. I heard a, a guy talk about this a while back. He said, hey, he said, I've lived in New York for the last five, six years, and I got a friend of mine that's from Kentucky. He said, it's crazy. He said, I can be in a bar or restaurant and he came from, I don't know if it was Long Island or where it was. He said, I can see a New York Yankees cap or I can 
had see an old high school thing and I don't talk about it. He said, but this guy from Kentucky, if he sees anyone with anything Kentucky, he walks over, strikes up a conversation and all of a sudden they're like best friends. And I don't know, maybe Texas is that way, but there aren't that many states where they're like, wow, this is kind of where I'm from. And it's so true for me. My kids just roll their eyes. They're like, oh, dad, really another? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to find <laughs> out who this guy is. He's from Kentucky. I want to know where. And then, you know, if, if you're familiar with states like Kentucky, everyone's from a county. You don't say what city you're from. You say, well, I'm from Pike County. Or I'm from Lincoln County. And even okay, that, most people okay. are like, well, really? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's from Madison County. And they're like, but what city? I said, well, you know, Madison County. <laughs> it's hard for them to understand that. So, so all that being said, um, there there is a bit of pride, you know, to the state and, and where you come from. And I think part of it is over the years you've been beat down a little bit, and made fun of, and you know, you kind of push back on that a little bit as well. For sure, for sure. So, you know, let's just talk a little bit more about you know the company that you've created and uh, you know co-founded. Um, you know, and it sounds really interesting to me and something that I definitely want to learn more about. So I want to ask, you know, what is field agent? Yeah. So, so Wesley, the, the people that are listening uh, to us right now, there's really two people that engage field agent. The first person um, uh, we have created kind of a gig economy. So you download our app and you can become a mystery shopper or you can uh, be a person that tries new products, uh, do trial and sampling, or you could be a person that uh, possibly wants to do, do ratings and reviews, and we pay cash for people to do tasks. So that's the first part. There's a mystery shopping kind of trial and sampling thing over here. Uh, we're in the United States and seven other countries, over 2 million downloads. And every week we have hundreds of thousands of people that are engaging in our app, making two, five, 10, $20, doing tasks, taking pictures, trying products. So that's the first part. There's other people listening saying, hey, Rick, I appreciate making you know an extra 10, 20 bucks this weekend, but it's not exactly what I'm focused on right now. Then I would say, hey, if, if you need to have any information from a store, a restaurant, any public area, whether it's pricing information, a photo of, of an execution of a sign or outside signage, whatever the case may be, we have the coverage scale the size to be able to capture that information in a matter of hours versus weeks and days. So, so that's what field agent does. And then we sell that via marketplace and that's plum plum is this big umbrella. And so when you think of the B2C world of e-commerce, I'm a B2B guy, right? So I'm engaging business to business and Wesley, we've created the, the, the first of its kind to have a, a marketplace where we've taken services, like people need services inside of retail locations, and we productize those so you can click, answer a couple of questions, and go to a cart and check out and never talk to a soul. So imagine you're in a world now and you say, gosh, Rick, I've got my product in, you know, 100 Target stores. And I'm trying to figure out the price on it. You just go to the plum.tech, go to the marketplace, click on price check, Put in the stores you want, give us the product you're looking for, 10 bucks a pop, you wanted 100 stores, $1,000, swipe your credit card, you're done. And that's kind of revolutionized how people can capture data inside of a store. Or you said, listen, I just have a brand new product. It's, it's, it's going well, but I need more ratings and reviews. 
go in, click ratings and review, do five ratings reviews. It's the best 50, 60 bucks you've ever spent. So we're revolutionizing the way or the platform that people engage. And that's really the exciting thing that we're working on now. That's incredible. And it seems like, you know, your company really understands the value of data and information. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but before we get into that, I just want to ask, you know, how did you get started in this industry? What led you to, you know, creating this company? Yeah. So if you're an entrepreneur listening or you're a, a corporate person, or you've got a job and you're trying to figure out, you know, gosh, do I do I try to create a product or a service? Do I jump into this entrepreneurial thing? Um, well, what I want to tell those folks is that I spent 10 years along with my co-founder, Henry Ho, and we were managing five LLCs, five different businesses for 10 years. Shopper marketing, we did shopper research, we did a brokerage company, we had a distribution company, we we're doing all these, these little things, right? And so then what happened was, is that, uh, and it was 2009, so this is pre-selfie. So I want you to think about your very first smartphone, mm -hmm. 2009, no front-facing camera. I mean, it's crazy, Wesley, but there was no front-facing camera. Right. There's no video unless you jailbroke the phone. Okay. You had to jailbreak it. So no video. And most people in business had a Blackberry and all the cool kids had a flip phone or a razor. That's, that's probably you, right? You probably had the razor or the flip phone. <laughs> exactly. And, and the iPhone was out and people were like, ah, it's expensive. Does it make sense? And what we realized in buying that iPhone was it had an amazing camera and we could use the camera and the geolocation to be able to capture photographs and information inside of stores so that we wouldn't have to travel over the US to do research inside of people's homes and research inside of stores. So we're sitting around, you know, with our iPhone 3Ss. It was so cool, two megapixel cameras. It was the rage, man. Looking at the phone, trying to figure out, okay, is anyone using this technology to capture data in the store? And mostly they weren't. And so we sat around for another two or three months just debating it. I said, listen, we're going to be like those guys that invented Instagram. And they were at a party and said, you know, I invented Instagram first. I just didn't have time, but it was really my idea. I said, people are going to roll their eyes at us and just call us stupid. <laughs> so we, you know, had five businesses profitable moving forward. And Wesley, we started working nights and weekends again for about nine months. And then we launched Field Agents. So I tell you that long, long story to say, it was the first company that we had that truly solved a problem and solved the problem at scale. And that, that's the point that I think all the entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs need to hear from this. Forget about the pre-selfie, the camera, it's all that's interesting. But what's really important is that if you have an idea that solves a problem and you can scale it, I'm telling you, that's what people want to invest in. That's the big idea. And once we found that, man, we get rid of all the other LLCs, lowered our head, and we've been driving field agent now for 12 years. I mean, that's an incredible story and, it, you know, incredible uh, history, history that you, you know, that you have. But something that's really interesting to me and I, not to give away, not for you to give away too much of the sauce, but no. what, what were some of like, the KPIs that you were looking for? What, what was the... Um, what was the, the reason behind the research that you guys were putting in? Like when, when you're, when you are doing this product research, what are some of the key things that you're looking for, the key indicators? 
Yeah. So let's say that you, uh, let's get really practical first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a manufacturer and let's see, I'm trying to think, um, you're a manufacturer and you make uh, mascara or you make um, it's, it's some sort of beverage and you spend a small fortune on displays. You build those displays, you ship them out to a thousand stores. And then Wesley, you have no idea if they're up. You have no idea. You've shipped it to the stores. You don't know if they're up or not. And so we say, gosh, why wouldn't you want to validate that they're up? And so then we go out and we check and we found out they said, hey, they're going to leave the display up for six weeks. We're at week number two and 40% are still in the back room and people panic. They're like, what do you mean still in the back room? I said, hey, all I'm telling you is I've checked that third party you just paid a fortune to. They didn't execute, man. So one kind of KPI is classic quantitative. Was the price changed? Did the display get up? Do I have inventory on the shelf? And think about today with supply chain. You know, I think my tag is up. I think the product's on the shelf. Well, I'll go check 10,000 stores. And by tomorrow afternoon, I'll tell you. So, right. so that's that quantitative thing. The other part was, and then Wesley, this is interesting when you think of how you do research. Um, you can always send out a survey to someone and ask the question, you know, do you own this product or, sh- or tell me the type of products that you own? And you're really not completely sure whether or not, Wesley, you're messing with me because you want to get the research project to make money or you're telling me the truth. So what we found out with the field agent app is that, hey, let's say that I'm looking for uh, a male your age um, and I want to make sure that he drinks Dr. Pepper. Okay, this should be relatively straightforward. So you can find a bunch of those. But what if I said, uh, what, what are you drinking right now? Let me see. What's Hold that. You are what? Pure Life. Now I'm saying, hey, I want to find a male certain age that drinks Pure Life. It may not be as broad as Dr. Pepper. So what we do with our app, which is, which is priceless, is that I'm saying, listen, Wesley, you can't take this project and you can't do the survey unless you show me a photo of Pure Life beside of a pen near the refrigerator. You can't fake that, man. Right. So, so for a KPI standpoint, I said, listen, I can guarantee that Wesley is a pure life consumer. There's no guessing. There's no maybe. And people are like, wow, that's really good. The next piece is, the thing about KPIs is that now someone is saying, listen, I'm just really trying to engage someone and I'm trying to get some sampling out there. And so they simple send a bunch of coupons for pure life. Well, what if you send it to someone who doesn't care? What we do is to say, Hey, Wesley, how would you like to try the new flavor of pure life? Well, I, I'm asking you cause you're a pure life guy. I know you're a pure life guy. And you're like, man, I'd love to try that. Well, Hey, try this new flavor. Would you mind doing ratings review? You're like, Oh, absolutely. So the power of the app, allows me A, to qualify who you are, and I can make sure you've got the products I'm looking for. And those types of things are really, really unique in the world of mobile. No, I mean, that's really incredible. And it's, uh, you know, one of the first businesses of its kind that I'm, you know, this is one of the first time that I'm hearing about a business like this, and it's very, very interesting. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, the businesses that you work with 
really appreciate and really see the value that your company brings to them. And I, I'm sure that's probably led to some great relationships and, and some uh, very thankful business partners. Yeah. But, you know, something else I kind of wanted to ask, I guess, or point out is understanding the importance of this research, something that you picked up while at Procter & Gamble. Is this something that, that, that kind of formulated during that time there? Because I know Procter & Gamble there, you know, they create uh, everything, basically. So is, is this something that kind of derived from your time there? Yeah, what I appreciate about, about P&G specifically, Procter & Gamble, is that whether you're working in sales, you're in brand marketing, uh, your product supply logistics, where, whatever the case may be, uh, they were always adamant about getting data and research to make decisions. Okay. And if you've got an out of stock problem or you're having delays at a warehouse, people were not shooting from the hip, Wesley. I mean, they, they analyzed it. You looked at studies over time. Uh, if you're launching a new product and you're a marketing man, you've done a ton of research. So we knew when we left, I left PNG in 2001. And when I left and we started this shopper marketing firm, we knew we needed to have a research arm because without it, it's everyone's best guess. And if we know anything, then you don't want to be guessing when you're spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to go execute something. So I think that was part of the DNA. I think that's fair. I think the, the field agent piece really came from us solving our own problem because it started out as a product for us. And then we realized, man, this is something we could scale. No, that's incredible. I mean, and it's something that you that you read about and you maybe see or you, you know, you just kind of hear about, but you never understand what it actually means or you yes. never hear it clearly broken down. Like, OK, they do. You know, this company does all this research. You hear about R&D, but how? But what exactly does that mean? What exactly are they looking for? So to, to finally have a clear understanding of it. Now I understand its importance. So, you know, I feel like. I'm definitely learning something new and cool today. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And even on the research standpoint, um, if I ask you, so where did you buy the bottle of Pure Life? Um, Target, maybe. All right. So I love what you said. Uh, mm, Target, maybe. So that's perfect, right? right? So <laughs> right. you think maybe. So what we understand in research is at best, recall is wrong. Yeah. It's never perfect. Exactly. Because you're like, ah, mm, ah, well, what if now we're in this mode of scan the receipt and show me exactly where he purchased it? Or I'm going to ask you your opinion while you're at Starbucks. And here, here's a great analogy. We, we had a Starbucks did, this is gosh, seven, eight years ago. They're wanting to do some research. And so we were engaging them and they were trying to figure out why people were buying scones because mm. they seen a little bit of a surge and and, and then all of a sudden they realized, gosh, it kind of went down again and what was happening. And what we realized is that when you ask someone the question, why do you buy food at Starbucks? They almost always said, well, I was hungry. But well, see, it wasn't the issue. That wasn't why. The reason why was is when you asked the question while they're standing in line, it was I was standing in line to get a cup of coffee. And man, I could smell that scone. I thought, man, I need one of those. See, they weren't going in to Starbucks to buy food because they were hungry. Right. Or someone else say, well, I was just standing there and I saw someone else buy it and I saw it there in the counter. Man, it just looked, I just, it just really good. So you, by capturing that research, if I ask you if the recall, you'd say, ah, I was hungry. Right. But if I ask you in the moment, like that moment of influence, you're going to yeah. answer completely different, Wesley. 
Exactly. No, it's genius, man. So it, it seems like, you know, it's almost like you're studying and researching uh, human behavior as well as, uh, yeah, just human behavior in a way. Kind of like, like it's kind of psychological in a sense. Well, it, it's catching things in near real time. And so what we've done is that we take that quantitative yes and no, qualitative research, then we do ratings reviews and sampling, get people's opinion. And then we started to make it a little bit broader and say, gosh, if people want to buy those services from us, what else could they buy? And I, I heard a, a podcast once, uh, uh, it was called Flip My Funnel. It's, the, it's now called Move. Sangram uh, Varjay was... was was the guy and he was saying had this guest on the guest said you know what i started to understand was is that as i looked at solving this problem i got so fixated on how cool my product was and what, how pretty my baby was i forgot about the problem we were solving so wesley what i've learned over the last year or so is we started out solving problems and then i started focusing on making my research tools best as it could be now we've backed up again saying hey the real problem i'm solving is that People have problems at retail. They need solutions. So we have field agent solutions, but now we have this big marketplace called Plum. And now I'm bringing in other third parties. So we have a one-stop shop for solutions. So if someone says, hey, I need merchandising help. Go to Plum. We can get that. Someone says, well, I need some training and education. Go to Plum. We can help train you on how to do something at retail. Someone says, gosh, I need some e-commerce help and I need some you know, work with words and I need to understand kind of, you know, my website ranking. Hey, we've got products for that. So when we got back to our original thesis, which is solving for people to, to, to be successful at retail, that really opened up the door again. So while we're focused on field agent and driving at scale, what we just talked about, we're now broadening our marketplace so that we can provide more solutions to the people that are trying to win at retail. So, you know, what is a, a product-led B2B marketplace? Like, how would you define that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, think of a service. A service would be, um, hey, I want to uh, consult with someone and help them solve a marketing problem. And the marketing problem is to do ratings and reviews. And so you go to an agency, you make the phone call, you have a couple of meetings, they send you a statement of work, and eventually you get ratings and reviews, right? Makes sense. Well, if you look at how Amazon would do that, when you go to Amazon, do you click on a thing of batteries and ask for someone to talk to you? No. You buy the batteries, right? Um, when you buy a TV on Amazon, do you ask for a meeting with three people to spend 3000 bucks? No. You self-educate, don't you? Uh, do you have friends that have uh, purchased a car on Vroom or a Tesla? Have you got a friend of friends that have done that? Or have you done that? Yes. Okay. So did they talk to three salespeople before they spent 70 <laughs> grand on a Tesla? No. <laughs> All right. I've, I've got a friend that was transferring and the housing market so tight. They bought a house without even looking at it. They saw pictures, didn't talk to a soul. And so when you think of a product-led marketplace, the epiphany for us is, is that Amazon Tesla has taught especially your generation. Why do I need a salesperson? Why do I have to have four phone calls? Just show me the data. I'll self-educate and I'll select it. So now we looked at ratings and review and I'm like, wait a minute. Why do you need three phone calls to spend 50 bucks on a ratings and review? That's crazy. 
So then we take all the work we know about ratings and reviews, we productize it to make it five easy steps. You click, answer question, upload photo, answer question, click, go to cart, check out, and you never talk to a soul. Now, an agency would say, oh, but we want to have three meetings with you. And Wesley, in your world, you're like, why do I need three meetings? I mean, really? This makes no sense at all. So the product-led marketplace says you should be able to create products or take a service and turn it into a product so that the end user can self-educate, okay? They can make their own purchase decisions and they can click and buy and check out. And that's revolutionized the retail area, retail industry, because everyone has this service mentality and I want to go make a bunch of phone calls. And so, Wesley, in our world, by the time you have three phone calls with an agency to get a raise and review, I'm already finished. Because in a matter of minutes, you've executed. It's out there. Get a raise and review back. You're still waiting on the, scheduling the calendar so that you and the agency can get a meeting scheduled in two weeks. It's crazy. Now, if you're a business person, you're like, yeah, but Rick, you don't understand. My business is so complex. I said, yeah, it's probably more complex than Tesla. And it's probably more complex than buying, I mean, buying a house, you know, and it's more complex than the details of buying a TV. But I'm sure your business is really complex. And they said, well, okay, okay. So I don't want to be naive to say that 100% of everything will always happen in a product-led growth, right? You may want to customize that car. And, you know, you may want to drive different models. There'll always be a percentage of the population that really wants to engage a salesperson. And so we know there'll be 30, 40% there. But the other 60, 70%, Wesley, people in your world, you're like, I got no time, man. I want what I want. I want to be able to get educated, boom, click and move on. And that's the part that we're, we're literally revolutionizing that right now. And, you know, you, you mentioned just kind of bringing that convenience to scaling and revolutionizing this market. How did it feel when it all finally clicked for you and you realized like, hey, this will really change the world, what we're working on and what we're building and creating here? I tell you that the first time that we started this with Field Agent, I'll tell you that story, then we'll get back to the marketplace. So with Field Agent, I just remember looking over at our team. And again, it was, it was Henry Ho, Kelly Miller. And we're looking around and I'm thinking, this may be one of the best ideas I've ever seen. I mean, it, it, it just, you just knew it. And that's why I made the joke. I said, we don't want to be those guys sitting around at a party saying, oh, I invented that. I mean, it was that kind of idea. So when we started talking about the marketplace, I said, you know, I have the same feeling. And, and the, the reason I knew I had the feeling, Wesley, is that I was staying up at night. I wake up thinking about it. I get up in the middle of the night writing notes. I mean, it, it's just, it's in my head. I'm like, oh, I can see this. I can see that. And so you just know. I mean, I just know. And so from an entrepreneur standpoint, here's how you have to check it out. Now, remember, all of us have great ideas, right, Wesley? You and I, we have great ideas. And the best advice that was ever given to me as an entrepreneur was like a weekend to us starting the business back in 2001. Uh, it was Dr. Stephen Graves. So Steve Graves came to us. He said, hey, here's my advice to you. Remember this. You're As an entrepreneur, you're only as good as you invoice and collect. He said, if you can't invoice and collect, all you're doing 
is all you have is an expensive hobby. So what happens is when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, like, man, I got a great idea. I'm like, who have you talked to? Well, my mom, my dad, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, uh, three cousins, and uh, the guy that owes me money. I mean, everybody that wants to tell you that your baby is gorgeous. And listen, Wesley, you and I both know 99% of babies look like aliens. They're all ugly. <laughs> Very few people have a really cute baby. Now, again, eventually they look good, but, but they come out looking like <laughs> aliens, right? So, so you ask, oh, my baby cute. You're like, yeah. Then, then that person leaves. You're like, dude, that baby looked like, God, it looked like Shrek. You know, it looks like ET. Crazy. So when you looked at this, who said, okay, we've got this idea. And so we quickly went out and talked to non-friends. People that we knew would give us really good opinions and said, here's the perspective of what we're looking at. And then I'm telling you, Wesley, to a person, they said, wow, this is a really big idea. The Amazon effect that we're all living under today, and you're taking that to B2B at retail, they're like, never heard of it, makes complete sense. Then we took it to the next step. We went to a cohort of clients. We did clients that loved us. Clients that were new, we asked the same question. They're like, wow, you know, when you think about it, I like you guys, but I don't really have to talk to you. I really don't love what you're doing. I said, but I really can just click, click and go. And if I got a problem, I said, yeah, we can just like Amazon or anything. Else. I could chat, chat bot pops up or I could talk to you. And so once we went through that rigor of here's where it is, here's what we're doing. We talked to strangers. Then we did a beta we got the beta out there and guess what? People started paying us money. We knew we could invoice and collect. And that's when we lowered our head, Wesley, and we started driving this thing. And we're going to basically rebrand it and relaunch it in June as Plum. And that's exciting. No, this is very exciting. And I can just kind of, like I said, feel the energy and hear the, I hear the passion in your voice. So, you know, what are some of the biggest takeaways that um, you want to, business to experience when they use when they use your product or when they use your marketplace yeah what what them to, to the first thing is is that when they come in it should be a the think the appropriate term is a they should have a frictionless shopping experience okay that's when you come into a website you're like wow this just it's like what they say it's like it's as cool or as smooth as the other side of the pillow man I mean, it just, it just smooth. So I wanted to have that kind of experience. The second piece, which gets back into your KPIs, kind of how you're focused. I had to have amazing services that have been productized so that they'll come back. So the experience has to be really, really good. And the products have to really deliver. And if I can do those two things, I got something. And I can tell you now, the products deliver and the experience is probably a solid B, B plus right now. And when we relaunch this thing June 17th, it's going to be a solid A, maybe an A minus. But I mean, it's, it's, going to, it's going to get there so that when you're experiencing, you're like, man, that was just a good shopping experience. Similar to if, if you go to your favorite website. Again, we could use Amazon as an example. But if you're an REI person or... I'm trying to think, what would be a, like a, a great, if you were purchasing thing, what's one of the go-to websites you use right now? Probably Amazon. Okay. So when you go to Amazon, man, they know you, you got your stuff there. You can track your orders. 
They recommend things to you. Uh, they got prime. I mean, they got all the things you're looking for. So instead of us spending the next two or three years researching how to build a really good B2B e-commerce site. So Wesley, what should we do? We should watch Amazon, right? So they do a really good job letting you self-educate. They've got some photos. Most of the products have a video. They got ratings and reviews. They've got good detail. The, the checkout experience is simple. You check out, you put on your address. I mean, it just, and so we've taken that Amazon effect and we're saying for B2B, how do we implement the exact same thing? Now there'll be some nuances that are different. Uh, some large companies that work with us are like, I'm not swiping my credit card. That's okay. We have an invoice and purchasing order system. Totally okay. And that would be different than an Amazon, right? And so, so there's a few nuances that we know will be somewhat unique. Um, I don't remember, I don't think Amazon has a chat feature. You're not chatting with anyone on Amazon, but we know for our products, especially some, some of the new ones, we need to have a chat feature so you can chat and kind of see how things are going. So take what Amazon has done and other retailers have done. And let's take that and take it into the B2B world. And what is our version of it? And uh, we're pretty excited on, on what we've got in front of us right now. So, you know, you mentioned that one of your goals uh, for your marketplace is to have uh, businesses that provide exceptional services and great products. What are some of the criterias that a company must meet in order to be placed on your marketplace? And how can a company be placed on your marketplace? Yeah, so uh, th this is where it's scary because you've held me accountable. I've got two people at work. They're going to say, why did you say that, Rick? That is not that is not the detail. I'm, I'm going to give it to you conceptually, though, okay? Because I'll get in trouble because this is somewhat moving, ebbing, and flowing a little bit. But I'll tell you that the first thing is, is that um, we need a company that has a reputable brand. Uh, we're really, and, and this may change a year from now, two years from now, uh, but when you're doing something at retail and you're trying to execute pricing and execute displays, uh, it's just not the place for a startup that's never done it before and they want to try. For someone to spend 20 grand or 10 grand on a product they've never tried before. So we're looking for more of companies that are in the industry. It doesn't have to be that top person, uh, but it's got to be a person that has run some water through the pipes, you know, that they, right. they've got an ongoing business. And I think the second piece is uh, there are some companies we talk to that still aren't willing to go down the productized route. So if you're listening to this now, um, I, I don't want you to overthink the complexity of it, but uh, there is some secret sauce in how you take a service and you productize it. And we can help you do that. So you've got to be willing to create some products, uh, give people some easy drinks, right? So they can try some drinks uh, of, your, of your product. So those are two primary things that we're focused on. And then obviously at retail. So, you know, again, e-commerce, merchandising, training, education, data analytics, all the things you need to succeed at resale. Understood. That's awesome. So, you know, you've, you've created multiple companies and started multiple businesses. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, you were, uh, you know, managing or responsible, created five different LLCs at once. So, you know, what I want to ask is what are some of the most valuable lessons that you think you've learned um, just throughout your entrepreneurship journey? 
Yeah, I've, I've got a, I'm going to give you a couple of sayings. So you can say these are Rick sayings, all right? You can write these down one day, but I'm telling you, Wes, these are Rick sayings. So here's what I've learned over the years. Um, I think first and foremost, and and this this should hold true for anyone regardless of their their age, is that I think that success, especially significance over time, really follows the path and depth of relationships. I mean, you cannot underestimate how important a relationship is, not when you need a favor, but just when you're trying to figure something out or you're engaging like, wow, Wesley and I talked and I send you a quick text or we have a quick phone call. Uh, we don't have to be best buddies and talk every day, but don't lose track of people that were, are genuinely interested in you and what you're doing. Be interested in them, be a student of other people and develop those relationships. So when I worked for a corporate entity, um, we were way, way in, internally focused. And I learned the hard way when I became an entrepreneur that, man, relationships drive everything. And I can take you back from my high school days through college, my early on, where I am today, that without relationships, I wouldn't be where I am today. So that's number one. Um, I think the second thing is, and this really gets back to um, entrepreneurs that are idea guys, like I got this idea, that idea, this idea, is that to be significant and to really launch something, you've really got to be able to stay within your rails and kind of head north with the idea that's solving a problem and be really careful that you're not chasing shiny objects. Yeah. Because, man, it is a time waster. And as an entrepreneur, your most valuable asset, it's overused, overset, but it's true as time. Now, you got to have money. You got to survive. But you got to have time. So um, once you've got that one or two ideas, you're kind of working through it, you got to deselect. Uh, you got to be able to say no, not now or yes, some other time and put that all the way to really be focused. And the third piece is, and I'll be quiet for a second, is... Um, Saying no is so important. You got to let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't be a maybe. If you've got a, a list of big ideas and they're a bunch of maybes, man, you're just wasting my time and yours. But I say, don't do it. Don't do it. And if somebody comes to you and said, hey, uh, can you help me out with this? Yeah, I, I probably can do that. No, man, don't just say, no, I can't. I'm too busy. You give me a no and I can move on. You give me a yes. That's great. But you tell me maybe. I'm like, ah. Oh, I wonder if he's going to help out. I, I, I wonder, I wonder. And it's a huge time waste. So those three really big things, relationships are super, super important. Stay focused on your big idea. Don't chase shiny objects. And then finally, man, be a yes and no person. Don't be a maybe person. There's nothing worse than a maybe person. No, and I think that's some really great, great advice, actually. And it's very um, pra practical and in. It sounds like it's kind of easy to do sometimes, or, or it sounds like it's simple, but the, the application to it might be, a, you know, it can, it takes that laser focus to apply these things, but they're all very valuable pieces of information. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yes, yeah, sir. I mean, and, you know, you're no stranger to entrepreneurship. So, you know, what I want to ask is, uh, where did your business sense come from? How did you gain this business acumen? Is it something that developed over time, just through trial and error? Is it a skill set do you think you, that you think you were born with? How how you know how did you develop this? I think there's a couple of things there. So, uh, 
listen, I'm a faith-based guy. So listen, I, I give credit to God in everything that I do. Um, there are times, Wesley, that I'm in a boardroom in front of a whiteboard, and I'm telling you, I can just see the solutions. I can just see, I can see the fix, the idea. I don't know how, I don't know why it makes sense, but even from a young kid, I could just, I just got it. And then as I get older, I realize it's just a God thing because I, I can be sitting with a perfect stranger talking about their idea. And I'm like, we well, should do this. He's like, wow, that's really good. How'd you know? I said, I don't know, man. I don't know. So part of that's God gift. Now, the second thing is you, you like everything about any gift that you have. So there's, I would argue that it's kind of the gift of discernment. I, I'm a pretty discerning guy. I can figure things out. The, the second piece along those lines, Wesley, is that am I going to use that and do I develop that so that it truly is a strength versus something that kind of pops in here or there? So I try to put myself in situations where I can use that gift in a really good way, but you got to be careful because somebody that knows someone that's really discerning, my words can be like a thousand pounds when I walk in a room. Like, oh, well, why even have a meeting? Because Rick's here. He's going to tell us what to do. I mean, that, that's not at all. So you got to be careful when you're like, I, I know this is right. It's like, yeah, but you don't really know, Rick. You should let. And so I've learned over time is that you got to let conversations go. You got to let things work. And there, there are times like, you know what? Wesley's idea works out great. You should go for that. And then Wesley says, yeah, but I want to know what you think. And I may come up with something completely different. So you got to be careful, in my case, when, when you're along those lines. Now, the work ethic, it's back to our cultural conversation. Man, I had people around me that's like, man, you need work. Football coach, my very first boss when I worked for a mining supply company. They're like, man, you got to work. It's simple. You're not going to sit around and you let things happen. So when you get into an entrepreneur world, you're like, well, I'm just going to sit around and, you know, watch YouTube videos and hang out and play Xbox. I mean, like, you ain't going to get nothing done. Right. So, so part of it for me is, which gets back to that skill of discernment over here, I also have to be careful and not work too much because then it's too much, right? Because then you're not healthy, you're right. you struggle with relationships, you got, right. you know, you got, you got these other issues. So on those two examples for me, I think I was born with this discernment. I kind of get it. And I got a culture of work ethic. You put the two together and that really helps me as an entrepreneur, but too much of either one of those, it ain't a healthy thing. It, it's not really good. So I've got to really back up a little bit and make sure I'm taking time for myself, make sure that I'm not working late at night all the time. I mean, I've got to make sure I got to make sure that I don't walk in cocky, Mr. Knower all the time, because that's not going to be healthy. And when I'm healthy in those two things, Rick's a pretty good guy to have around. If I'm not healthy in those, you're like, man, you need to go take a break. <laughs> right, right. Yes, sir. So, you know, you, you just mentioned the importance of, uh, you know, having that discernment. And then, you know, you also talked about, you know, a little earlier, you talked about, um, you know, being with your team and just kind of creating this idea and, you know, being able to help people solve their business problems and, and, and bring solutions to them. So I want to ask, uh, you know, what's the importance of kind of having that team around you? How did you build your team? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what would you say kind of is your leadership style? 
Yeah. So the building the team, part of it is, you know, uh, Henry, the, one of my co-founders, we've been friends for gosh, 35 years, long, long time, long time. Uh, and so you got to find people you can trust to come alongside you. I mean, partnership is hard, Wesley. I don't know if you've got partners right now, but it's uh, it's like a marriage, man. You got to be equally yoked. You got to be focused. Last thing you want is to have a business divorce. It's ugly, right? So you got to find the right people, you know, to kind of build the team. I think the second thing is, is as you look at your leadership team, get it back into those characteristics. Um, if you find someone that is loyal, that works hard, man, you can teach them everything else. You need people that are, you know, sharp, but yeah, but they don't have this background. I don't care because if they have the background and they're not workers and they're not good with people. I mean, you, I'm looking for a really good person that gets it and I can teach them the other stuff from what I do. So we have surrounded ourselves from a team standpoint with amazing loyal people, amazing culture, the morals are there, they're smart, all the things you're looking for. And we bring them in and then from a technical standpoint, we kind of drive it. So that kind of leads into the management style. Um, my style almost to a fault gets me in trouble, but then people appreciate it over time. So we're gonna you know, play with that a little bit. Um, but my, my focus is as a leader and this more leadership style of management is that my job as the CEO or my job as a leader is to give people something to shoot for, to aspire to that's bigger than themselves. So when I talk of field agent or I talk of plum or I look at our culture and what matters in our culture, if I drop down into the details over here, that's not really a good management leadership style. The leadership style is, hey, here's where we're going. Yeah. Get excited. Let's go rally behind that, man. We're going to create this plum marketplace. It's going to blow your mind, man. We're going to do this data claim. Like, oh, yeah, how are we going to do it? Don't worry about that, man. We're, we are focused up here. And if, and if I lead that way, then I've got an amazing leadership team that comes alongside. It's okay, now, don't stress out with what Rick just said. Think of the big picture of where he's taking us. Now, how do we assess and how do we determine how to get there? And that's really evolved over time, Wesley, is that uh, while I was a pretty good doer, I'm now much a better starter, much better visionary guy to be able to drive mm -hmm. it. And that's kind of why uniquely I'm in a position to be a CEO of a company right now. No, that's incredible. I mean, and, um, you know, let me just kind of change gears and ask you this right here. How do you define success as a CEO? How do you define success? Um, I know you mentioned that, you know, you want to be able to kind of paint that picture and, and, and be that visionary, but how do you define success as a CEO and how do you define success in your personal life? Yeah, so let's go down to the CEO route. Right? There's practical part of it, right? I mean, I answer to a board, so the board might have a little different, you know, approach to this, but um, I need to set a direction for the company to make sure that we, and make sure that we have the the resources, both people and financial resources to go deliver the vision that I've set forward. And that's really the success model for me. It's not, did this KPI work over here? Did that sales work over here? Did we land that deal? That was the case when we had three people at the company, I had to do all that stuff. But man, we got a hundred people. And my job is not to do that. So as a CEO, it is 
visioning and driving, but more importantly, does your leadership team and do your directors have the tools, resources, financial finances to go deliver that vision? And if I've done those two things, man, it's all good. Now, the board has to agree on the vision. Makes sense. The board's going to look at the financials, but they're looking for me to come up with those things. So that's one thing. On the personal side of things, success, I really get back to the uh, relationship piece. If I've learned anything over the years, Wesley, it's like us having this conversation today. Um, I truly believe I'll be rewarded in heaven for this. I truly believe that my family sees this. Uh, being a good steward and being a good servant is really my mantra and success in life for me. As a dad, if I'm serving my kids well, and again, I don't want to, I'm not a doormat. They're not walking all over me, but I mean, but are you are you serving your kids to make sure that they have the vision that you set forth in family? Do they have the resources, the education, things they need to have to be successful? Fantastic. When I look at leading my family, if I look at working with my mom and my brother, I mean, how are we coming, how am I coming alongside them to make sure that their relationships are strong, which is really, really important, right? As a, from a personal standpoint, but also how am I serving and come alongside them? Um, I, even as the, the father of three kids, and the grandfather of two, no one needs me to tell them to do anything. I want to inspire them to lead them, make that happen. If I've done that, then my legacy, and, and this is, you've probably heard this joke before, at least this little pun, but um, you, you never know how your kids are going to grow up until you see how your grandkids turn out. Okay. And so I got two wow. grandkids, five and three. And my daughter's amazing, man. She's 30, Hannah, she's doing everything. I mean, and so you're like, wow, my wife and I did something right. And that's that legacy thing, right? And so, so as a personal style is how do you invest in your kids, invest in your friends, invest in your church, invest in this, these relationships so that over time you look back and say, man, I can see my impact in all of this. And my fingerprints are everywhere, but my name's nowhere. And that's really cool to see that. And uh, you, oftentimes you won't know. I mean, I, I got an email from a guy um, a, a while back. And it was just, hey, you don't remember this. But when you do did this when we were back in college, and was yet a long time ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Like 37, 38 years ago. When we were in college, you did this. And that changed the trajectory of my life. I just thought you should know that. And I haven't talked to this guy in forever. And he said, I just thought you should know that. Well, that's not a cocky thing. And I'm not trying to say, oh my gosh, look at Rick. It was just more of, I vaguely remember what I did. But for him, it was like, wow, I took the time, invested in him, helped him in a situation. And we just both went on and did school for the next year. And then he said, well, but I want to let you know. That was important. That's the KPI of life, man. When you can go back, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your family can look at you and say, Wesley, man, you may not remember this, but when you helped me out here, that was really, really important in my life. If we've done that, man, it's going to be said, man, well done, that good and faithful servant, man. You did it. That's incredible. That's incredible. You know, you you kind of mentioned a little bit about, you know, the legacy that you want to leave 
you know, in your personal life, you know, with your family and with your grandkids and with your children. But how would you like for people to remember the company that you've built and created or the companies that you've built and created? Yeah, I, that's a hard one for me because it depends on who's looking at it, right? I mean, you've got, is it a, the team that's going to be with this company 20 years from now? Uh, are they investors looking? But I think in totality looking at it is that I left a company that was well built, the culture, it's it, just, just the way it works was a really, really good thing. So that's just culture. The business part of it, I hope somebody looks back and says, man, those guys were really thinking. That was a really good idea. Now, it doesn't matter whether we were a financial success or not. It doesn't matter how big we got. But I'm hoping they're going to say, you know what? That was a really good idea. And good for them. They did it. And that's really going to be really cool when somebody looks back at this and says, you know, they could have just sat on it. Nothing could have happened. And man, and you see this in your ideas. You see this with your friends. You probably saw this when you started a podcast. Or I can just sit around and think about a podcast or I can launch it. So I was like, man, good for you. And, and you know, that feels pretty good. doesn't matter whether you have one download or a million, but your buddies are like, Wesley, man, that was all right. <laughs> and that's what I hope that they're going to look at our businesses, how they're going to look at them. What is the future of field agent and plum look like to you? Yeah, I think what you're going to find over the next three to five years is that the the concept of field agent is going to continue to grow organically in depth and breadth of clients that are using us. Um, I think if you look in another few years, you're going to see plumb that marketplace get even broader. Again, I just rattle off some categories of in, as in education, you know, production, other things. I think you're going to see it get really, really broader. And then what I'm hoping we're going to see is that the the approach and methodology, if we've done it right, uh, what it says the best. What does it say that uh, is it copying is the best form of flattery? How's it go? Is not copying is a uh, imitation. Thank you, man. Wesley, that's why you get paid the big bucks, man. What I'm <laughs> hoping is is that in two or three years we're going to see a bunch of people imitate this. If we've done that, dude, we're on it, man. We're first to market. We're driving it. You got imitation, and then it's just a matter of us being successful. And so my money says that's where we're going to be. Well-oiled machine, great culture, clients love what we're doing. People are imitating it, but they're trying to catch up to us. That's going to be cool. Are there any relationships that you're looking forward to um, building or creating in order to help expand Field Agent and Plum? Yeah, I, I think for us, when we talked about third-party providers coming in and putting their products on, you know, Plum, uh, I think we'll probably over time, and whether over time is six months or a year, whatever it may be, I think over time, uh, we're going to have some people coming in saying, hey, I don't want to have just my product there. I'd really like to have this be a core way that I do business. And I, I'm, I'm, I've, seen, I've seen a couple of companies that look at that and that's going to be cool. Similar to the, the effect of um, Pure Life is a good example. I don't know, but for a lot of companies like that, you can't buy their product on their website. They're completely relying on Walmart, Target, Kroger, you know, Amazon. 
And what I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see is when a company says, you know, this is so good. It's the only place I'm going to sell. If that happens, Wesley, that's going to be big, man. That's going to be big because you're like, why would I go spend money and resources over here when Plum has the funnel, you guys are marketing, you're bringing people in, you got the eyeballs, it's easy to buy. Why would I spend any money or resources to advertise, market, or sell? You guys got that. When I get my first one of those, we've hit it. That's incredible. And I know it's coming. Rick right. West, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, I really I really appreciate, you know, getting the chance to talk with you and pick your brain and learn from you. So, you know, thank you for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. And uh, I really appreciate you. Wesley, man, I appreciate it. Look forward to next time. Yes, sir. See you, man.